Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. series that we are currently embarking on, which is grace and kingdom economics. And remember the overarching theme is grace, and uh, segmentally within the broad theme, we're dealing with specific uh, components or aspects of the grace of God um, as we move along, okay? And uh, of recent, we concluded impartations of grace. And a significant segment of that last segment was the whole issue of dwelling near the conduit of grace. The source of grace is God, but God puts grace in men, leaders, in and through which that grace can find its, its, its movement towards you. Okay, And so that proximity is determined by how close you are to the word of the Lord. And the, the context is Father, Son. You relate to, as a son, you relate to a spiritual father, has the word of the Lord, speaks the word, in the word is grace, and you as a son, recipient of that word, become a a recipient of a specific quality of grace that God vests within leaders, or specifically apostolic fathers. And that process has been detailed in, in prior sessions. On Sunday, we, we, we focused again on grace and kingdom economics. And really, I will only get to explore the correlation directly on Sunday morning with you when we speak specifically of what link is there between the grace of God and how we handle money, grace and money, okay? And I thought we would do it tonight, but I just had a change of emphases while I was waiting and thinking about what we should teach tonight, okay? And uh, as we end it, we'll lead it into Sunday morning's message. So tonight's message is actually preparatory or preparatory to Sunday morning's message, okay? Remember, we're building line upon line, uh, precept upon precept, here little, there little. In my teaching, what I always attempt to do is construct a body of principles that you can install in your life such that you build an edifice of belief. So when builders build, they lay foundations and then they erect the superstructure. That's what we're doing in teaching. Every, every sermon or teaching you hear is part of the building process of that dynamic of God within you. So you cannot afford to miss a course. You know, the bricklayers, they lay a course of bricks and then the next one. So it's line upon line, it's precept upon precept, such that ultimately you come to the completed edifice People say, wow, how did you get here? And yet they don't know the process. You've submitted yourself to consistent doctrine. Remember Paul spent anywhere from two to three years with the Ephesian elders. Every day from the Amplified Bible says 10 a.m. or something like that to 3.30 p.m. Every day for at least two years. And some say even as far as three years. And they became this mature uh, group of leaders. And Paul says, I did not keep anything from you, but I declared to you what? The, the whole counsel of God in three years. Okay? And so financially, let me just say this, that God wants you blessed. Yeah. Right? Financially, God wants you blessed. It's his heart. It's, it's, it is his intent that I believe his sons be adequately taken care of. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Um, I will not lack anything. And James speaks about that, that when you've gone through all these trials, you will have patience, lacking nothing. right? Lacking nothing after what you've experienced, the things that you have experienced. You come to a place of abundance. You come to a place of lacking nothing. Right? And then if any man lack wisdom, he would say straight after that, let him ask God. God wants your life full and full and complete. And um, 
On Sunday, I stressed that you're living in the natural world, but that's not your nearest frame of reference. Your nearest frame of reference is the kingdom of God in the natural world. And you subscribe to kingdom principles in a natural world to get kingdom results in the natural world. The natural world has its system of behavior, its system of life, its system of, of success that is diametrically opposed to what the kingdom purports. And if you as a son of God um, live by with, or live by the naturalness of your mind, the fallen Adamic nature, and you don't with a renewed mentality say, God, but in reference to economy and finance, you have a policy, you have principles that you've set in your word. And like I said on Sunday, in reference to Israel, it would seem like God was doing everything in His power to keep His people poor from a natural perspective. Right? Only work six days, don't work on the seventh day. Only work six years, leave the seventh year, don't work the land on the seventh year. Do that for 49 years. Seven times seven is 49. And then on the 49th year, observe this, and the 50th year. Right? Uh, you know what He said to them also? When the times you reap, don't reap everything. Leave the corners of the field for widows, for orphans. Let me remember Ruth cleaning the corners of the field. So, I mean, here's a farmer, and here's his neighbors farming seven days a week. He can only farm and work the field and work his land and tend to his farm six days a week. And six years, seventh day, he must leave it. Then God still tells him, now when you harvest, don't take it all. <laughs> leave the corners for the widows, the orphan, the, the outcast. And then he says, Noch, when you harvest it, give me 10%. Give me a tithe. Give me offerings. And by the way, at the first harvest, I want all, the first fruit. Don't touch it all. It's like you stretching your head now. So I want to encourage you, if you want to observe God's methodology for blessing, you're going to ratify and resolve in your heart straight away. I'm going to live by God's principles come hell or high water because that is his way of Weaning me of dependence on natural things. That is what it's all about. And I'll talk to this later in this series. Kingdom economics is about weaning you of dependence on natural things and putting your dependence squarely on God your Father. Yeah? So God wants to dispossess us of the things that possess us. You can possess things, but those things can possess you. If you're not careful, and God to, you know, left to yourself, dependence on God was not natural. And God put a system in place where he says, give it away and prove me. I will take care of you. I think every time we give, we demonstrate God is my father. Every time I give, I demonstrate God is my source. I depend on him. Okay. Hence, I can give away. Remember, Abraham gave 100% away. People are struggling with 10%. He gave 100% away. Remember when he came back with the spoil from nine kings? In Genesis 14, you must read the account. We'll do an analysis of this account later. But he, he gave his men a share to eat. He gave the brothers, Aina called Mamre, a portion, the Bible says. Right? And he gave a tithe, first of all, before all of that, a tithe to Melchizedek, his spiritual father in the Lord. And he gave the rest back to the kings. And he, said, and he said to the king of Sodom, I will not even so much as take a shoelace from the spoil, lest it be said the king of Sodom made Abraham rich. So he's taking his dependence of natural things and putting it squarely upon the, squarely upon the Lord. I want you to start practicing this. Every time you give, say it to your mind, I'm expressing my dependence on God. I'm declaring, yes, I need this money. Based on natural calculations, if I do the sums, I cannot afford to give this away. But I'm giving it to prove that I'm, my, my trust and my store is not based upon my job nor the state of my bank account. My trust is squarely on my Father. And God wants us, that's why he put the system in place. He says, deliberately live un, 
attached or not dependent upon natural things. So put your dependence squarely on me because if you trust in natural things, that realm must provide for you. But if you put your dependence upon me, I will provide for you from my realm. It's called the riches of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4. Right? The riches of God in Christ Jesus. So what realm do you want to, your providence to come? Will it be left to your own ingenuity, your own resource, your own attempts? Or will you uh, trust your Father? Right? And I want to say God is faithful. God is God is abundantly faithful that I want to wean myself off dependence on the natural realm. Right? I want to depend on the Lord, exclusively on Him. Amen? And, th- and that is critical, a critical thing to understand. And I want to encourage you not to count natural, not to count rands and cents. Right? Just blindly, and you'll see in time how God is able to open the door and and bless you. Remember, financial breakthrough is not an event. It's the result of a process of obedience. It's not an event that momentarily will come upon you. God's financial blessing plan for you is the outcome of a lifestyle of financial obedience. A lot of people wait for momentary breakthroughs or suddenly moments, as they call it. You will have those, but every, I believe, so-called suddenly moment comes to the one who has consistently obeyed the pattern of the principle. Okay? And I really want to encourage you. Where we are going as a church in the future is going to require huge amounts of finance. To be the biggest recipients of finance, we have to first demonstrate how that we have to be the biggest givers of finance. Right? Uh, The sooner you sow, the sooner you reap. He who does not sow cannot reap. Right? It simply makes sense. To to reap more, you should sow more. Right? It's it's a it's a it's a it's a common sense principle. But if you don't engage the law, the result of the law, God's law, cannot come to you. Remember what the scripture says: If my people, which are called by 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people, which are called by my name, humble themselves or pray, humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, uh, seek my face, then I will do what? Then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. So the principle is, if you take out all the words in between, that verse starts like this. If my people will, then I will. If my people humble themselves, seek for, then I will hear from heaven, heal their land. So God will when his people will. If my people will, then, then I will. Now, God's laws in Scripture and laws that govern his kingdom are based on principles. It's easy to access the result of the principle um, by engaging the principle. You cannot experience the result without submitting to the process of the principle, okay? You've got to submit to the process of the principle to experience the, the outcome. So I want to encourage you, look for opportunities to, to sow, okay? If you live in the culture of liberal giving and generous sowing, you will be a great harvester of things, okay? You know, the, one of the greatest lessons you can teach your kids, you might not be in a position to at your death give them a large volume of money, let's say. But you can impart to them principles which if they observe in their time will ensure that they be successful in their time. Okay? The greatest legacy and inheritance you can leave the kids are biblical principles which they observe in their time um, will ensure their own success. So, financial breakthrough is a process. It's not an event. God places money alongside the path of financial obedience. If you submit yourself obediently financially, blessings financially will attend you, right? It's cause and, it's cause and effect. So we are living presently in a reformation called the apostolic reformation. And the the whole um, move or the impetus behind the Reformation 
is that the church needs to be reformed. Martin Luther, uh, 500 years ago, on the 31st of October, 1517, the year 1517, 500 years ago, um, nailed his 95 Theses to the Catholic Church door, remember? What he was saying to the Pope is, there are 95 things, there are, there are so much, there's so much error in terms of the, the form and function of the church. The church doesn't need revival, the church needs a reformation. Internally, structurally, at the heart of it, change the very ethos and system by which we do church. And for that, obviously, he was excommunicated. Others like John Hus were killed at the stake. Let me just say that that was 500 years ago. We are 500 years since. The Reformation has not stopped. The church is still in a process of being reformed. Please remember, when you think Reformation, all you must think is, we're going to bring everything that is deformed, lost its original form, for, for some reason, deformed, bring it back to its original form, publicly, bring it back to, bring it back to its order. And you know, the Greek word for reformation, the word reform or reformation can be found in the book of Hebrews chapter 9, right? It speaks about the times of reformation. The Greek word is diothosis. Diothosis, we get the English word orthopedic from. An orthopedic surgeon is a bone surgeon. When you go to an orthopedic surgeon, he's not, con- he's not primarily interested in muscle or mus- muscular dysfunctionality. He is interested in the accuracy of bone structure and bone alignment. Because if your bones, your, your structure is out of sync, the form externally, because the muscle will form around that deformed structure, the skeletal structure. What is God interested today in reforming? The skeletal structure of the church. He is not interested in the cosmetic appearance, how we dress it well externally. He wants to go to the core and realign the bones. And you know what, what orthopedic surgeons do sometimes to reset the bone? They have to break the bone. Hmm? So welcome to Gate Ministries, Durban, Central, where your bones will be broken. Okay, I'm speaking figuratively. Don't, please don't, don't get too concerned. You won't break your bones literally. Right? All we are saying is, if there's a belief system, which is giving you structural deformity of belief and behavior. We need to break it at its foundation, reset it to accuracy so that you can live. And I am suggesting in this series, the reformation of the church is incomplete until we also have a financial reformation. Things financially have got to be brought back to biblical order. So rightness, accuracy, proper alignment could be had in all of our lives, including our financial lives. Amen? And uh, so this is a season of great reformation in reference to financial um, things. Now, biblically raising funds is not a biblical approach to financing anything in the kingdom. We will not sell bunnies, samosas, or clothes, or whichever, right? We will never charge for anything with a view to raising funds to finance a kingdom project. Most of the things we charge for, all of our resources, is simply to maintain that aspect of the ministry. Publicly, you will see, I'll look at four case studies later on in the series, every kingdom initiative was financed by an authoritative call for finance by the leader. A freedom in the hearts of the people to so generously into that and God's purposes prevailed. Yeah? But it takes spiritual authority to raise money. It takes human perspiration to raise funds. But it takes spiritual authority to raise finances for the kingdom. Okay? So I want to encourage you. Um, let, me, let me rephrase that. In my notes I had it as, you need human sweat and perspiration to raise funds. But you need spiritual authority to release finances from out of which they are stuck and blocked. And I will show you, I'm not saying this because I think it's a nice phrase. I will demonstrate this to you in the persons, Moses, who called for finances for the building of the Moses' tabernacle. David did the same for the building of 
Solomon's temple. Okay? There are, there are other examples where it was not suggestions that these leaders made. There was an authority. There was an anointing accompanying the call for the people to sow. And there was gladness of heart, willingness of heart, and an abundance of blessing attached to the process. And God's purposes prevailed in their day. Nehemiah, Hezekiah, and Malachi, three persons in the Old Testament, whenever Israel went away from the path of financial accuracy, these men rose up. The famous one we know is Malachi. Right? Wherein have you robbed me, declares the Lord in tithes and and Malachi stands up as a reformer, bringing accuracy to financial matters in his day. Nehemiah did the same. Uh, sorry, Hezekiah did exactly the, 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 the almost identical thing, calling the nation back to financial accuracy. Nehemiah as well. In fact, Nehemiah prayed that God would remember him for that. Not for building the wall. You must read Nehemiah from chapter 10 to chapter 12, after the wall is built, he, he focuses on financial issues, and he says, remember me for this God. I mean, wouldn't you think he want to be remembered for the, the rebuilding of the wall in 52 days? He says, no, I want to be remembered for restoring financial, financial accuracy to the house of God. Now, I'm going to start on, on Sunday morning at church, I'm going to start to demonstrate principles of financial giving. But for today, I'm going to use Mark chapter 12 and verse 41 as a case study. It's just to demonstrate to you in the matter of giving. And I believe what we're going to read will relate to all forms of giving. I believe there are three broad categories of giving. First fruits, tithes, and offerings. In offerings would be free will offerings, for example to the stores, to kingdom projects, and even gifts to the poor. Included in offerings is almsgiving. Right? And you should practice giving to the poor. Today we just didn't have one beggar, big at the gate. We had two. Okay? Naz was with us at home today, was chatting to Renee, and we had two. Right? They know, they tell their friends, you come to this house, you get stuff brew. <laughs> so they're bringing all with. Right? And we had not just one rattling at our gate, two. We have a regular one that comes, no matter how busy I am, I stop, we make a meal or some bread, have coffee or juice, depending on the state of the weather, and we give it to the guys, right? And I want to encourage you, the Bible says, I'll talk about ministering to the poor in the series. Whenever you give to the poor, Scripture says you're lending to the Lord. Who'd like to borrow the Lord some money? You pay back huge interest. <laughs> it says when you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord, so never disparage against a poor person. Don't just think it. Uh, do whatever is within your means to, to sow to that. Amen. So this, this, this portion, Mark 12, verse 41. Mark 12, verse 41. I want to say this. As we read this, none of us can ever be neutral ever again on the issue of finance. You're either going to honor God with your money, or you're going to dishonor him with your money. There's no middle ground here. You have to state your position clear. And I want to encourage you in this series. Make a resolve in your heart. From today, I'm going to honor God with my money. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth or your, uh, with, with your substance, with the first fruit of your increase. So your barns will be full of plenty and your vats will Burst forth with, with new wine. The point is, how do we honor God? You can stand in worship and say, Lord, I honor you, I love you, and sing lovely, honorable, and honoring songs to the Lord. And there's a place for that. But uh, you know what Jesus said when he prayed in the garden? He said, Father, I have glorified you on earth, and I've completed the work that you've given me to do. You can stand and sing, I glorify you. Jesus is praying in the garden said, I have glorified you by doing what? By doing something. I have glorified you by completing the work that you have given me. The point is, what we do glorifies God. Yes. What we do honors God. Yes. More than what we... You know when Achan sinned, what Joshua said to Achan? Glorify God now and give him honor by coming clean. Yes. He had to do something as an expression of his 
honor to God. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. There's something about money that has, has potential within it to be one of the greatest mediums of expressing honor. Right? Of expressing honor from one person to, to another. Okay? So you honor your leaders financially. You can honor God. Uh, it's an expression of your heart. For me, the lack of giving is a lack of honor problem. The, 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 the money problem is an honor problem. So you get honor right, the money will flow. Right? I can prove to you, and I'll do this later in the series, whenever there was finances were blocked up and there was the, the, the uh, lack of giving, it always, that absence of giving financially, always highlighted a far more serious problem in the person internally. Okay? So it's symptomatic of, of a whole of a whole array of, of things. Now, in this portion, the Bible says Jesus sat opposite the treasury. Okay? He sat opposite the treasury, and he began to observe how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. Everyone say large sums. So the rich people were, the King James says, casting in large sums. Verse 42, a poor widow came and put two small copper coins, which amounted to a cent. Then, calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors into the treasury. Verse 44, they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Notice, all she owned, all she had to live on. Okay, let's stop there. Now, very interesting. Uh, and I wanted to speak about five or six principles or lessons relative to giving that you could pull out from this, from this passage. Number one, first thing to note here is that Jesus sat. Everyone say, Jesus sat. The Bible says he sat, this version says, opposite the treasury. The King James Version says he sat against the treasury. So there was a place in the woman's court where this treasury for collecting finances in the temple was. And Jesus takes time, notice, to go to the place of the offering and to sit against it. Okay? And to observe how the people were giving. Now, um, whenever you get the sense of someone sitting scripturally, symbolically, it alludes to judgment. The Lord sits as judge, right? It's a position of great authority because Jesus is seated where? At the right hand of the majesty of the Father on high, not so? It's an authoritative position. It's a right-hand position. Um, the place where sons of God will be judged for our works is called the, the judgment seat of Christ. The very famous portion, Psalm 22 verse 3, Thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. It's a very well-known portion, God inhabits our praises. But the correct rendering is, Thou art holy, O thou who is enthroned on the praises of Israel. The versions of the Bible say, you that sit on the praises, on the throne of the praises of your people, Israel. So the seated position is always one watch. Everyone say authority and say judgment. So if it says here, he sits and he's watching the people are coming up to give offerings. And he's sitting against the treasury. Um, the word in the Greek for where it says he sat against, denotes over and down. So he has both, um, it's a wonderful Greek word, he has both a horizontal view of the people as they come, but by virtue he also has an aerial view, top-down view, such that he is even positioned to note the details 
of what he's put in. Right? This is not casual observation. And notice, he is noticing two things. How they give and how much they give. Right? What they give and with what attitude they give. Now, both are, both are important. Everyone say how we give. And say how much we give. Many people only focus on how much they give without considering how we give. Let me just say to you, how you give could determine how much you give from God's perspective. I'm not talking natural perspective. You could give the least, but heaven could appraise it as they gave the most because of a certain disposition by which the giving takes place. Right? So how natural the natural man estimates giving is vastly different from how the Lord evaluates the, the giving. And notice here, I believe similarly, Jesus is coming to sit against the treasury today. He wants to bring accuracy to the way we honor the Lord financially. Amen? Now, who wants accuracy in your finances? The judgment, let me just assure you, is not punitive. When we use the word judgment, we think punishment. Not so. But judgment in this context from God's perspective is simply to realign back to biblical order. Okay? Judgment can be restorative. Right? The word judge is simply to separate. Right? To separate. And I believe God is sitting as judge for empowerment of any inaccurate or erroneous uh, attitude or practice relative to our money, relative to our finances. And you're going to see this. Now, secondly, so God sits to evaluate. Everyone say evaluation. evaluation. You know, I would have loved to have seen, this is so untypical of Jesus. This is like the cool guy, full of love, um, loving everybody, kind, patient, healing the sick, raising the dead, merciful, blind eyes being opened the good teacher, the, the, the consumer deacon, the servant, washing his, uh, his disciples' feet, etc. Then we see the strange aspect about him. He's interested in money. Tell you remember, Jesus is very interested in money. And now let me just say this. Like I said previously, many people don't appreciate how much God's Word gives attention to the issue of finance. And I think God deliberately slotted this in the Gospels to show us He takes keen interest in the offering. He, he doesn't stand from afar and check, oh, let me check what's happening here. He said, no, I want to note the details. Right? I'll come and I'll sit up against the treasury over. I mean, to notice that the widow gave two mites that make a farthing. King James language. He added up, oh, it's equivalent to that. Right? It's literally a cent, Roman cent, which was, uh, a denarii was one day labor. If you worked for a day in that time, you get paid a denarii. A denarii was the wages for one day. The two mites that make the cent to the farthing that the widow gave was one sixty-fourth of a denarii. That's how little she gave. Imagine, not just half, not just a quarter, one sixty-fourth of a denarii which is one day's labor. This is like barely anything. She gave a loss, not so? Now to note those details tells me he's taking, you know, don't just think that you can decide what to give when you want to. He won't mind. He takes very, he's, I, you know, the one thing I appreciate about the father, he's very meticulous. Uh, we, we sometimes are not meticulous about things. We, we casual, we flippant. But he takes care of the, the detail. So tell your neighbor, be detailed about your giving. I did an appraisal today. The Lord told me to do it. I was doing stuff. I was checking what's going on corporately in the year with us. How exactly what we're giving. Are we falling short anyway? And I said, let's bring accuracy to everything we do. Amen. This is not law. Please hear my heart. Don't hear me and say, oh, you're being lawful. No, I'm being graceful. But grace doesn't teach you to be irresponsible. Grace actually teaches you to be far more responsible than you've ever been before 
in your life. Amen. So if you give, let's say you earn 10000 and a month. If you give 900 and you put their tithe, it's a misrepresentative offering. It's not a tithe. It's an offering. Right? Because you did not know the detail. Now, it tells me that Jesus is very concerned about the, about the detail. And I'll read a scripture in a moment that tells you this. The Bible says he observed how they were giving. Everyone say how they were giving. He observed how they gave and how much they gave, right? The word observe is theorio. Theorio. Nice word, eh? He watched or he looked or he observed. He theorioed how they gave. And the word is interesting. It means this. One who looks at a thing with great interest for a specific purpose. Usually indicating careful observation of the details, right? Careful observation of the details. So Jesus observed. And I want to encourage you, when you hear a word like this, now the Lord comes with greater introspection and forensic analysis of your financial world, right? Now, please, don't look at me so... <laughs> this is a liberating message because God wants you blessed to the degree that He desires to. I'm telling you, as you listen to these teachings, there will be grace empowerment upon you to obey this in a way that you've not known before. Yeah? You're going to see this, this financial rectitude and honor come back to your financial world such that you, God is positioning you for, for great blessing. Amen? For untold blessing. So number one, he says to evaluate the givers and the giving and what is given evaluates the givers, the state of the people, the process of the giving, of, of, of giving, and the amount given. Carefully, number two, he carefully observes the details of the, offer, the offerers and the offerings. Number three, he observes how much, how we give and how much we give. I told you how he sits in judgment. Now, let me just say this to you. I'm going to talk about the following in the, in the next coming weeks. Does the scripture tell us how to give? Does it? Come on, yes or no, does it? Yes. And you, you'll be amazed at how much it tells us how to give. You'll be amazed at the guidelines it employs when it tells us to systematize our giving to the Lord. For example, the scriptures encourage us to give gracefully, to give as a son would, Confident and secure in God as His Father. Thirdly, the Scriptures encourage us to give suggestive of God as our source. Next, it encourages us, encourages us to give as expressions of the nature of God as a giver. We should give next as stewards, not as owners. We should give worshipfully. We should give lovingly. We should give willingly. We should give promptly. We should give obediently, we should give cheerfully, we should give extravagantly or bountifully, we should give liberally, we should give expectantly, we should give systematically, we should give consistently and frequently, we should give in faith, we should give fearlessly, sacrificially, according to our ability, beyond our ability, according to the measure as God has prospered us. As a reflection of ourselves given to the Lord. As a reflection of ourselves given to spiritual leaders. And as a testament of how much we love the body of Christ. Now I, I, I decoded all of those from perusing the scriptures. We can give you multiple scriptures for each of those statements. Is God interested in how you give? Yes, yes very, very much so. And I'm going to encourage you church as we go through this, you're going to be liberated. Because every time we teach this, grace will come to you and find you'll find I'm functioning at a level I did not function prior because the Father has liberated uh, me to give in, in, in great detail with great liber uh, liberality. Now, God keeps a more accurate record of our giving. Now, we do keep record of giving here at church. Uh, Jules does our financial books all our books are audited by, audited by an external auditing firm. 
So we've got checks and balances in place. There's a scripture in, in Corinthians that says, we must do what is honorable not just before God, but also before men. So if earthly systems check us, they must find us honorable financially. You know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of evil going on in some sectors of the church financially. Right? A lot of theft or abuse of finances, etc. Again, I want to say this to all of us. My intent in encouraging you to, to get into the principles of the series, I have no personal agenda to get rich. Right? Uh, in fact, God has taken my eye off tithes and offerings and first fruits. And He says, you rely on that. You know, God has a way of, of, of uh, drying up a source that you become reliant upon. He says, now you don't depend on you. Put your eyes on me. I don't know how many times that's happened to me. Right? So I've learned that God, you know, God trains a man eh, to be in his faith to grow. And so now my faith, yes, God will use those things. But I realize people are not my source while God uses people. God, my Father, is my source. And you must adopt the same attitude. God is my Father, I am His Son. He will never leave me. Excuse me. Neither will He forsake me. Now, is God concerned about details? Yes, on this passage. Let me show you a passage. Numbers chapter 10. I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 7, verse 10 to 83. It's going to be a long time. Don't worry, we won't read it all. Numbers chapter 7, from verse 10 to verse 83. Long passage this, eh? Now, what's happening here? There's 12 princes from each of the 12 tribes, 12 leaders of the 12 tribes. And each leader is offering an offering to the Lord, contribution. And look what the scripture says here about the first guy. The leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. The Lord said to Moses, let them present their offering one leader each day for the dedication of the altar. So this will take 12 days, 12 leaders. Now the one who presented his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Aminadab of the tribe of Judah. Judah always seems to be first, right? It's an apostolic tribe. It's the apostolic principle. They quickly go first to offer. So the leader at that time, Nashon, he comes and he makes his offering. The Bible says this. Notice how detailed the Bible um, takes time to delineate or, or to catalog in a list what the guy is offering. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for the grain offering. One gold pan, 10 shekels, full of incense. One bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old, for burnt offering. One male goat, for a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of the peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Nashon, the son of Aminadab. What verse are we on? How many verses? 83. You want to take the time to read the rest? You don't have to. You know why? Each leader gave exactly the same offering. But the Bible doesn't say, and the next leader gave exactly the same as the... The Bible takes the time to read it all over again. Now when you read this thing, you say, you know, where's Moses? Did he have cut and paste facility? <laughs> He's cut and paste. If I was writing this and I said, and the rest of the 11 princes gave exactly the same as the as Nashan from, from Judah. right? You know why God doesn't fill the pages of the Bible up? God is not given to waste. God is not given to casual repetition of words. Every word of the Bible is extremely weighty. I think God repeats this to show how much He, how much he appreciates and emphasizes detail and values the contribution of each member. Right? Otherwise, He would have just said, and they all gave the same. Right? But He specifically mentions the leader, if you read it on, 
That's your homework. Please don't get bored by this chapter. Right? Like the genealogies, we all just skip over the genealogies, right? And each one gave exactly the same, right? I want to say this to you. If you've never ever, I know you've known this before, but now I bring you to greater awareness. God views your offering. God regards your offering. God remembers your gifts. God, you know, there's Psalm 20, just quick. Psalm 20. You know what Psalm 20 says? I told you Psalm 20 is my favorite birthday song. I like to wish people happy birthday. I'll share a verse with them from Psalm 20. But there's a love, another verse here that I like. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. Then it says, may he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. May he remember your meal offerings. I like this. May God remember your meal offerings. And find your burnt offering acceptable. Selah. And the rest of the psalm is beautiful. But my prayer is for all of you. Some of you have given and you think God has forgotten what you've given. No. Tell you about God keeps records. The fact that God detailed the records of all of these people in the Bible tells me he's very concerned. He's very passionate about the records that he keeps. Right? Now, there's another, and I'm just thinking, you know when Cornelius gave alms giving to the poor? Remember? That's part of my notes, but I think I need to add it in. God never forgets. I want to encourage you. You will, if you've given with correct attitude, it will come back to you. The blessing of the Lord will come back to you. God never forgets. Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man of Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, Italian band. A devout man who feared God with all his household and did what? And he gave, he brought his finances under the lordship of Christ and he gave alms to the Jewish people and he prayed to God continually. And at the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw a vision of an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius! Exclamation mark. Fixing his gaze on him, being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? Notice he knows the Lord. He is not like, who's the other guy? Paul, Saul himself. When, when, when the Lord said to Saul, 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 why do you perceive? Who are you, Lord? This guy said, yeah, Lord, I know. What is it, Lord? And he said to him, you two things. The way you pray and your giving. Two things. You're, and I want this church to be strong in two things. Be strong in prayer. Don't neglect your prayer time. For me, it's, it's so important. I'm finding it such a blessing. Your, your private calling on the Lord. Your, your, you must be strong in how you pray and you must be strong in how you give. Jesus, when he taught the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, he said, when you pray, do not be like the heathens. And next statement, when you fast, do not fast to appear before men. Right? Next statement, when you give. Those three areas are critical to, be, to master within your life. This guy gives alms here is giving to the poor and notice what god said to him two things your prayers and your alms have ascended as what as a memorial now what is a memorial designed to do when we have memorials yeah on the like the nelson mandela memorial you go there what is the whole purpose behind that thing it always causes you never to forget the man and his contributions made to, to the world. Not so? It's ensuring that you never forget. Right? It's a record. What record does God have in the heavens concerning Cornelius? He says, wow, Cornelius, the way you pray and how you give, those two things ascend up before me here in heaven as a memorial. What God is saying? I can, even if I try, I will never forget you. I can't forget you. Your acts on the earth, let me just say this, acts on the earth have powerful ramifications in the unseen realm in the heavens. And I'm here to say this to all of you. Your faithfulness in giving God has never forgotten. 
God has never forgotten. God is not man that he should lie, and he will not forget. And he will in due time, if you haven't reaped yet, reaping will be your, your portion. Remember who was it? Dorcas, who died? Uh, Peter was the man there, I think. And they used the cloths that she made and she sewed. She sewed a lot of fabrics and clothing to give away to people. Now she's dead. Now the lady's dead. The apostle is there with power to raise her from the dead. The motivation they used to encourage him to pray for her to be raised from the dead is, see what this girl has done. Let her good works go before her. Right? And I want to encourage you, God has never forgotten. God, has, God will not forget. Right? Come on, we want to establish a memorial before the Lord. Okay? Establish a memorial in His mind. The way I pray, God, and the way I give, you will not forget. Amen? God is faithful to honor you in the same. Now, another principle we learn from Mark 12, 41 to 44, is this. God correctly appraises the true value of our giving. You see the rich casting out of there? Surplus. But the woman gave all she had. She had nothing left. She gave uh, two mites which make a farthing. And Jesus said, she gave more than them all. And if you were there, you would argue, but no. I mean, she gave less than a denarii. She actually gave one sixty-fourth of, of a denarii. How can you say that, Lord? Check what these rich people are giving. So Jesus appraises offerings differently to the way men appraises offerings. Your offering might be recorded in our church books as X amount, right? But God can appraise it vastly differently to how we view it, right? I like to say this. You know, a person can give a thousand rand and the other person can give ten rand. And God can say concerning the person who gave ten rand, they gave much more. And the person that gave 10 rand. The principle we derive from this is, although how much we give to God is important, absolute amounts per se do not impress God. It's not about the absolute amounts. While amounts are important, we must bring accuracy there. It's the state of the heart. It's the attitude of the giver. You know, I believe your heart attitude can enhance your value of your offering before God. Outside of natural estimates into a spiritual estimate because he saw with what attitude you've, you've given. Remember the Bible says the rich casting out of their what? Out of their surplus, this woman gave all she had. In other words, they were still going back to their abundance. She was going back home to nothing. And Jesus said she, relatively speaking, gave much more than them them, than them all. Another principle to derive from this is God doesn't appraise what you give by what you give, by by what you have left. Everyone say, ouch. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Message Bible says it like this. Verse 44 of Mark 12. All the others gave what they'll never miss, but she gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford, and so she gave all. The others gave what they'll never miss, surplus. But she gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford to give, and so she gave, she gave all. So I want to encourage you um, to really, next time you sow seed, you bring an offering to the front, or you do an EFT into the church bank account, do so soberly. Don't just do it routinely. And say, this is a cold clinical exercise I'm doing. I will encourage you, whenever I do it, like, I can't wait for, what's here tomorrow? Right? We usually give a tithe of the tithe to Pastor Thumb of this local church. And I do it as a matter of urgency. One of the principles I will teach you is give promptly. Right? Give as a priority. Right? So before anything, before we pay the rent to our landlords here, I say, no, they, yes, we need this place, but our the grace that we derive from our patriarchal father, that must be honored first. Before we pay even my salary or we pay for anything, no matter who we owe anybody anything, that is sacred to me. So before I do the EFT, if Renee's around, we'll say a short prayer. Thank you. 
Father, that we're able to do this. We do so soberly. We do so seriously in the fear of the Lord. Right? It doesn't matter. If I'm away, Renee knows what to do. Right? It's a principle of our financial stewardship. She'll know what to do. Okay? We set that as an unalterable, unbendable thing within our lives. Amen? So I want to encourage you um, to do that. So I look forward to tomorrow morning. It gives me such great... I do it on your behalf, by the way. It's not my personal... I do my personal tithe separately. But the church uh, tithe of tithes, we do that, but we do it soberly, we do it seriously, and we do it in the, the fear of the Lord. Yeah. Amen. Um, last point. Time is going, so my last point. Much more else to say about this. Was the woman poor? What's the principle? Even the poor are not exempt from giving. You are never too poor to be unable to give. Poverty can never be excused as a reason not to give. Yeah. In fact, poverty, or rather giving, is the process to uh, a way out of poverty. Giving is the pathway of deliverance from the realm of poverty. And you might think it's paradoxical, not so. It doesn't make natural sense. But remember I spoke to you on Sunday. If you try and employ financial principles using the mind of the natural mind, it's not going to make sense. You have to trust God that this is a spiritual economy that works. So even the poor are not exempt. You know where the, the Bible says this woman was poor? Calls her a poor widow. The word poor here is uh, pitokos. And it's really like the poorest of the poor. This particular word used in this context. It means to crouch, to cower like a beggar. It is describing someone who is poor and helpless. Someone in abject poverty, utterly helpless, complete destitution. Right? Uh, remember Dr. Segi said they were so poor, even the poor people called them poor. But that the level of abject, destitute poverty is this word potikos is describing. She's not just a poor woman. This is abject poverty. This woman is like the poorest of the poor. She is right at the bottom of the pile. And yet, she gives her, she gives her last. And I want to encourage you um, to, to give liberally. Remember in the series, we're not just going to be talking about giving. We're going to talk about receiving. We're going to talk about financial stewardship. We're going to talk about diligent work ethics, industry, business. It's, it's a, but if you don't start with a, a disposition of giving, nothing else makes sense. Nothing else makes sense. One, one last scripture before you go. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You'll see how Paul, and this is where I'm going to lead off for Sunday. Talk about the grace of God in giving. But I'm going to use this scripture a lot. Now, brethren, who is he talking to? Corinthians. Is, it, is Corinth a wealthy place? Yes, yes very wealthy. Metropole, uh, uh, buzzing city. Um, lots of business, lots of activity. So he's talking to these guys. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you what? Everyone say the grace of God. It says the grace of God given to the churches of Macedonia. That in great ordeal of the affliction, the abundance of joy. Just stop there. So great trial, eh? ordeal of affliction, suffering, hardship. But in that context, these guys got an abundance of joy. Like this, this church like knows how to defy natural situations. We're suffering, but we're the greatest, we're the, 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 the most joyful people on the planet. And then he says, they're not just poverty. He says deep poverty. There's poverty and there's deep poverty. Right? He says from, from deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality here is generosity, extravagant giving. How can a people from deep poverty be the most extravagant givers? And Paul is using them to provoke a rich church at Corinth. He says, hey guys, look at these guys. Right? They give liberally out of deep poverty and out of severe ordeal, they're the most joyful people. Now, you must be the, be the most joyful, especially when you give, by the way. Because yeah. God loveth a 
cheerful and hilarious over-the-top giver. That's what it means. A beside-himself giver. Hilarious. Tell you never be an hilarious giver. Yeah? Next time you contemplate giving anything to anybody, say, wow, this is so joyful a thing to do. This is bringing such joy to engage this. You don't give in sorrow or pain. You give liberally. Practice joyful giving. Okay? And then the Bible says, just quickly, two more verses, then we'll close. I testify how? According to their ability, even beyond. How can someone give beyond what they are able to? According to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Okay? Verse 4, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Now, I'm going to suggest something to you. They were only able to do this. How does it start? Look at verse 2. How does it? Why? Or rather verse 1. What is on this church? What is he wanting to make known by talking about how these people give from deep poverty with great liber uh, liberality according to the ability, beyond the ability? What's the cause of all of this? What is he saying? I want you to make known about what? He says, all this is a manifestation of what? Of grace. So the absence of giving is a grace deficiency problem. He who cannot give is not full of grace. If you get your grace right, you'll get your giving right. No matter what the circumstances, from deep poverty, you can surmount ability. Because they went beyond their ability. That is why I think it's the wisdom of God that we are teaching this now after we've taught all the stuff on grace. Yeah, we've been on grace for more than a year now, right? To all our visitors, you guys, or oh, welcome, by the way. I forgot to welcome all of you. You're most welcome. Um, we have many series on the grace of God, multiple sermons on aspects of grace. But one of the fruits of grace, it will testify, it will express, be expressed in generosity. Grace that cannot give is no grace at all. Grace that does not know how to be generous is no grace at all. Now, please, you cannot miss Sunday morning. I wanted to teach on this tonight. For me, amongst all the multiple principles I will teach you, to have an understanding of grace and how grace gives will set you free in the area of giving. You never, ever teach people kingdom economics without teaching them the value of the grace of God. Because if they don't appreciate grace, they will never know what it is to, to give. And even when Paul sent Titus to this group, read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he said, I'm sending Titus to you, and he will complete this grace of giving within, within you. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, he would say. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become, might become rich. Amen. So is there any excuse for not giving? No. This woman had every reason not to give. Yeah? She had every reason to withhold those two mites. But she says, no, I am going to release this. Again, I want to encourage you. The sooner you sow, the sooner you reap. The more you sow, I'll teach this later, the more you reap. If you want to up your level of harvest, up your level of seed, it's a very simple thing to do. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to work these things out. But your capacity to elevate the giving is going to flow from grace content. And all the principles relative to giving I've shared with you. And I'm going to discuss those principles very quickly. Right, the next two or three weeks. Just spend about five or ten minutes on each one. Show you the principle and activate that reality within, within your life. Amen. So I want to encourage you to receive this word from the Lord. Lift up your hand. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Let's think about His grace. As you think about finance, you think about grace. My financial issues are grace issues. God, fill us with your grace. 
Fill us with more grace. Multiplied grace. God, we lift our hands to you. Our desire is to please you. You sit against this treasury. You sit in judgment. You sit in authority to bring accuracy and fine alignment of our financial world to your laws and to your principles. We receive your evaluation. We will accept your assessment report of our faithfulness or otherwise in reference to giving. We ask, oh God, that where we have failed, that you forgive us. Thank you for your mercy that washes over every single one of us now. Thank you that there is no condemnation for us. Thank you that where we fail, you forgive us. Now I speak on the Lord's behalf. You are forgiven. The Lord forgives you. The Lord wipes your slate clean. If you failed Him financially, I speak as God's representation to your heart. The Lord says to you, my son, I know your heart. I forgive you. Receive my mercy. Receive my grace today. God, as we receive this, I ask, oh God, that we will be more thorough, more uh, focused in how we manage our finances. Our heart is to really honor you and to be financially obedient to all of your laws and principles. And so we ask even now, God, as we pray, let your grace fill us anew. I pray great grace impartations as I speak upon the house, upon everyone here present, upon those who would listen to this audio recording. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, great grace, great peace be your portion in the name of the Lord. I declare to you that this is the start of the end of your poverty. This is the start of the end of your poverty mentality. That you would never use insufficiency again as a reason not to give. Never again, Father, will we ever say we don't have enough. For from that position, grace will cause us to give more than what we are able to. We will do so with joy, an abundance of joy, and with great extravagance. We'll defy the present context, not because we are able to, but because your grace allows us to. Your grace allows us to do even the impossible. I ask for the level of giving for all of us personally and even corporately to escalate significantly, God. We will take violent steps to demonstrate our obedience as prompted by your leading. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us in the same. So I ask this word will not be stolen by birds of the air. I seal it now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Cement this as an anchor in the soul, anchor in the spirit, anchor in our minds, O oh God. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And let every expression of giving from this moment onwards arise and ascend before you. Like Cornelius is giving God. Let it be a memorial. Uh, let what we do on the earth be memorialized in the heavens before your presence. And according to Psalm 20, you will not forget our offerings. We thank you. We bless you. We honor you. Be magnified. In the house tonight. Be glorified. Be honored amongst us. In Jesus mighty name. Amen.